Live to see it, friends, and welcome to the world transformed. This program is your guide to an astounding future that lies ahead, one that will be here sooner than you think, and one that you have an important role to play in bringing about. At the world transformed, we want to introduce you to what may be the greatest transformation of them all, the one that begins with considering and acting on the almost limitless possibilities that lie before us and that ends somewhere beyond the reach of the human imagination. So, when does this amazing future begin? Well, today is the day. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-author, co-futurist, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? Well, I am super fantastic. Happy Friday. How are you, my friend? Man, I'm great. Got to the end of the week, and that's fantastic. Uh, and, hey, we got uh, Thomas Frey has joined us again this evening, so that's good. Thomas, welcome back to the World Transformed. What a pleasure to have you on two shows in a row. All right, let's dive in and let's talk about the future of wealth. Where, where is all this wealth stuff going to slip out of our fingers and who gets it? <laughs> well, uh, more importantly, how much are we going to get and when, right? I think that's, <laughs> right. Exactly. that's what people want to know about the, uh, the future of wealth. But this, is, this is kind of a timely topic around things we've been talking about on the show. As I mentioned on Wednesday, we've been doing the future of various things all week. We talked about the future of big data on Monday. We talked about the future of retail on Wednesday. And here tonight, we're talking about the future of wealth. But actually, last week, we played a show called The Future of Money from way back in 2008. So it was a nine-year-old show about the future of money. Some of those ideas still pretty interesting and intriguing about the future, but I think some of them uh, not caught up, hadn't looked at, uh, at, at all the things that have occurred in the meantime. And then, meanwhile, Stephen, we did that show about uh, sexy immortal billionaires last week, which which got all that kind of negative attention around some of these ideas, including post-scarcity. So I want to talk a little bit about whether the idea of post-scarcity is sound and whether the idea of material progress kind of pushing us towards being relatively wealthier is, is a sound one. And I I draw your attention to this article that was over on FEE.org, You Are Richer Than John D. Rockefeller. Now, this is something, Stephen, you and I have talked about many times. Many times, I think, yes. Thomas, yeah. I think we've even talked about this a little bit, about how, relatively speaking, we're a lot better off living in the present than even the wealthy and powerful in the past, with a few exceptions, obviously. You know, yeah. kings in the past could call out the troops and <laughs> things like that, which we still luckily uh, <laughs> don't all have the ability to do. But but we enjoy really, you know, more varied diets. We sleep in better beds. We have better health care than the richest right. of the rich did a century ago. So in that sense, yeah. what do you think? Is it safe to, is it fair to say, we're, for example, you are richer than John D. Rockefeller? Yeah, I, I happen to know for a fact Rockefeller did not own a Lamborghini. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> It wasn't even it wasn't even possible back then. They, and uh, I mean, just just such things as smartphones. I mean, this puts an amazing amount of tools in your in the palm of your hand. Uh, gives you enormous capabilities that um, I mean, nobody is even uh, dreaming of them in their wildest dream back in the time of John D. Rockefeller. Absolutely. Well, I, I wonder if uh, the, the question, as I would phrase it, is here you are, 2017, living, we're, we're all living, you know, reasonably middle class lives, except for Thomas and his Lamborghini, I guess. But uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> would you trade your lifestyle today for Rockefeller's 1917 lifestyle? 
you know, you look at it and you think, well, that was really glamorous and, you know, sailing on not the Titanic, but ships like the Titanic and, you know, the Waldorf Astoria and all that opulence and wealth and everything. It's like, would you trade with him? Stephen, would you? Not, a, not in a heart, not at all, no way. Um, our, our experience is richer. I mean, even, even uh, you know, if you sit there and say, well, middle class, uh, uh, you know, let's adjust uh, dollars based on inflation. And, you know, if you went through all of that, you know, Rockefeller probably had more money, even, even adjusted for inflation. But the experiences that we have is richer. We have, a, you know, I, I, I would just say not, no way would I make that trade. Unless unless you uh, wanted to just have power over other individuals, because I mean, John Rockefeller could you know uh, you know snap his fingers and 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 have you know someone shining his shoes and fixing his breakfast and everything you know he could do things back then that we can't do now. But uh, there you know it's uh, we have butler free homes now. Even the very well, <laughs> and, and get by pretty well. How about you, yeah, Thomas? Would you, would you swap? Well, but no, I wouldn't uh, do it. Would Would you, yeah, Thomas? I would, yeah, I, I I would love the opportunity to trade one hour of my time today with an hour of John D. Rockefeller, and just experience it for like an hour. An hour, but but yeah. I, I note you put a pretty small upper limit on there. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe, you wouldn't go for like the rest of your life, right? Or even maybe yeah, for maybe, a month, maybe a day or something. But yeah, it. And uh, but uh, I, I'm with you. I mean, we we just have so many more unusual opportunities, but we also have so many more risks and threats. Now, I, I get into this topic of, of privacy a lot, and and the privacy topic is um, it's not one that should, we should uh, uh, gloss over because um, you see, there's, there's a lot of people have this idea that we we're moving into an area era of radical transparency, and we know everything about everybody. And, right, um, and we're going to live in a much uh, safer society if we know everything about everybody. But if I know everything about you, then I know what your bank account numbers are, your credit card numbers are, your passwords, and we lose our ability to own things. And that's a uh, uh, that's that's a critical piece of our economy right now. If we can't own things, then that messes up all kinds of things in our lives. Um, so I. I, I wrote a, a column a while back on which industries are going to produce the first trillionaires, um, and I was speculating on a few of them. And if I had to bet today, um, my bets would go towards um, the first trillionaires coming either from cryptocurrency or from asteroid mining, um, which is they're they're just like right next to each other and. Uh, possibilities <laughs> and both very cool industries to be getting into you know you think about you think about that scene from the graduate right i got one word for you cryptocurrency yeah. right you know. <laughs> asteroids okay that's <laughs> that's that's the future son um yeah so tr- trillionaires come out of there and the cryptocurrency obviously the blockchain is one of the ways we might keep some aspect of privacy that we might maintain some aspect of personal ownership of our own information and and, and our right. own kind of space yeah. in the world and in fact we'll, we'll get to that idea a little bit deeper when we start talking about demonetization here in a in a few minutes because i think there's uh there's some interesting interesting connections there but what you're saying is that at least in Rockefeller's time, you really had privacy and, a, you know, there, 
you didn't have to worry about phishing scams and things like that, right? I mean, it was a, it was a, in some ways, a more secure world. You didn't have as much, obviously, but what you had was probably in some ways easier to secure and easier to maintain ownership of. Yeah, I mean, criminals would actually have to drive up and shoot you or something. I mean, I, I did, <laughs> yeah. I, I did this uh, thing where um, I showed what a bank robber looked like in 1850 and 1900 and 1950 and 2000. Um, and so it's it's interesting because you know, bank robber in 1850, you're probably riding a horse um, and you're shooting a uh, you know a, a gun that only shooter. Like yeah. one 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 bullet at a time maybe. Um, then you get into 1900 and then 1920, people are driving around in faster cars and you have Gatling guns and uh, yeah, Tommy uh, guns, yeah, absolutely, machine guns and things like that. And then you get into 2000 and the bank robber looks like a hacker, um, right? Somebody sitting at the computer. So it's it's this uh, idea. Of, I mean, this changing face of uh, of a criminal, uh, what that looks like. Um, I don't know. I, I find that to be kind of a, a revealing notion but uh when um we can this this whole idea of scalability ties into things so we we can have uh business models where we're selling uh digital products and and things can just scale exponentially and you can grow your wealth just uh massively just like overnight and lose it just as fast, right? I mean, that's the... And you can, yeah. The, the same speed with which you can grow it, it also becomes dismantled. So the, uh, the idea of, uh, I mean, I'll give you some points of reference here. The, uh, it took a little over uh, 200 years to create the first billion bicycles. It took 120 years to create the first billion cars. And that happened around 2010. Mm-hmm. And then, then McDonald's, it took them... Uh, 23 years to sell the first billion hamburgers. And it took uh, uh, Facebook eight and a half years to uh, get to the first billion users. And uh, and then uh, uh, then Uber actually uh, sold the first billion rides in just five and a half years. And Uber has a competitor in China that is uh, um, uh, called Didi Chuxing, and they, they got to a billion rides in a little under 11 months over there. Wow. Um, and, and then you look at, uh, if you look at some other uh, scales, like the number of views on YouTube, well, the first, the first guy that actually broke the billion view record on YouTube was uh, this Korean pop star, Psy, with his Gangnam Style video. Right. And that was in 2012. It took him 157 days to, to do that. Um, and he still holds the record on YouTube today even. But, but since that time, there's been another 27 YouTube stars that have come out of the woodwork um, with Adele doing it in the least amount of time in just 87 days. Um, so, I mean, there's no safe industry today. So we have, if you're in business, you have the potential of having a, 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 a competitor come out of the woodwork. And um, and all of a sudden they have 10 million, 100 million customers, and you didn't know about them because they didn't exist two weeks ago. Right. And that's the type of environment we're moving into is everything is so highly scalable. Um, and and I, I find some of those scenarios like that just fascinating to, to consider. Well, Robin Hansen, the economist Robin Hansen, has talked about future scenarios where the economy just sort of gets taken over by the machines and we can experience economic growth 
unprecedented economic growth because because of the kinds of things you're talking about when 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 the machines are kind of running the show and and he talks about these future worlds within a century or so when the economy is doubling every 10 days right things you know kind right. of outrageous sounding scenarios like that but but if if that's where we're headed if we're headed towards an ability to generate wealth that much more quickly does yeah. that then say this is this is kind of the follow-up question to the would you swap with John Rockefeller? Would you trade your lifestyle today for the lifestyle of someone at the bottom of the economic stack a hundred years from now? Right? Um, yeah. And that that one is sight unseen, right? At least we know what uh, <laughs> what Rockefeller's life was like. But given that choice, yeah. I, I'm going to give it to you, Stephen, because I, I gave it to you first last time. Would you do it? Yeah. And <laughs> I'm jumping at that quickly also because, hey, uh, you know. Uh, for one thing, uh, I'm, I'm presuming we got we have life extension by then. <laughs> so regardless of your age, you can uh, you can be uh, you can have uh, the physical prowess of someone in their 20s. I mean, yeah, I, uh, for the, you know I would jump on that immediately. And, yeah, uh, I, I I like the idea of uh, being able to do some sampling of what this lifestyle would be like before I'd go say that scene. <laughs> yeah, you're too cautious, Thomas. No, I'm sorry. That's actually, that, that's, that's why I, I came up with two variations on this. One would be you can be in the bottom 1% and you get to see it first, okay? You, you, okay. Can, you can observe it for a while and then you and, and decide whether you're going to go or not. Or you can just be in the bottom 25%, but you just got to say, okay, I'll take it, right? It's like Monty Hall, <laughs> oh, right, door okay. number two. I'm, I'm not going to show you what's back there, but... Uh, um, but but you can but you can go for it. I I, I think I would definitely do the uh, I'd take the lower twenty five percent right for sure. But Stephen, yeah. it sounds to me like you'd even jump on the one percent. Is that right? Oh yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I you know I I I would think that um, uh, someone in, in the even in the lowest rung of an economy like that. Uh, could quickly reverse their situation. I mean, you, you know, if if medically you are, you, you know, at, you are at your can be at your optimal peak. If uh, if you're as smart as you want to be, and you know, in, in in a future like that, where I mean, you you can you can, uh, uh, you can then you know the the future is wide open for you. It'd be it'd be just you'd have as much possibility yeah. as as the kid straight out of college with you know with uh you know he doesn't have two red cents to rub together but he has he he's all potential i think that 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 would be very much like what it'd be like showing up in that in that future it'd be yeah. just yeah. A, a wide open potential well Stephen, yeah. i i just i, I want to admire i want to just stop and just admire your your positive outlook on the future because 100 years from now of course it could be post nuclear Holocaust, right? Than the, it could be a starving that's what, that's mutant. That's the movies that, tell us. I mean, uh, whose, whose lifestyle you're uh, yeah. you're taking right. on there? But, yeah, I, I want to raise uh, this idea of. Uh, um, I wrote this piece uh, a while back on the idea of people in the future having a thousand income stream lifestyle, and and I created this scenario around uh, somebody having an electronic shirt that they're wearing. And uh, as it walked around, it would electronically display different logos uh, or ad messages for companies. And as, uh, as people look at what you're wearing, if two eyeballs get focused on it, then that counts as an impression. And, uh, and it can also then 
judge their expression as it, as your shirt looks back at the people looking at it, um, and and then it can rotate to a, a change electronically to a different uh, logo or ad message, and so it goes from Coca Cola to General Motors to um, uh, some radio station or something. But each time you you get a, a full impression, maybe you get three cents, maybe you get six cents, um, and uh, throughout the day then. Uh, you're walking around among crowds of people trying to get people to take notice. And that's, that's your occupation. That's your, your daily, daily grind, if you will. And, uh, and the <laughs> it, it would pay to be more attractive in, the, in this model. <laughs> it, <wouldn't> would. It? <laughs> it would. <laughs> Definitely, yes. That would help a lot. It's automated, and so it's, it's making the decisions on what, what it should be displaying. And so at the end of the day, you end up with um, – you, you have a few cents from Ford Motor Company, a few cents from Coca-Cola or Pepsi, and a few cents from Taco Bell. And, and then you have uh, totals up to a 1,000 different income streams, all a few cents, but it, it's a respectable wage then just from doing that. Or what if it adds up to just a few bucks, but suddenly your dollar buys you so much more? And I guess that, that swings <laughs> us to this, uh, to this second topic, this piece uh, this is actually from last July, and Stephen, I think we've talked about this once before, but it came up again this week, and I thought it was worth revisiting. Uh, Peter Diamandis talking about the cost of living being demonetized, and he starts out, it's a really interesting article, he starts out talking about how some governments are looking at implementing basic income, but he raises this question of, is, is that really looking at the at the whole picture? And he talks about how he anticipates a huge drop in the cost of basically everything. He lists seven things, transportation, food, healthcare, housing, energy, education, and entertainment. He talks about how they have how they've all gone down in in price up to this point. Although I think, you know, you can make arguments about food and maybe not how much it costs, but how much people spend on it, right? Although you can probably yeah. make arguments about about each one of those in 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 those terms, but he says we're just kind of at the we're just kind of at the knee of the curve there. And these things are about to become just dramatically more affordable to the point where they are essentially free, or maybe they're right, not quite right. free. But but in a world where you're getting you're picking up a few bucks a day <laughs> from people living at your t-shirt, you could live like a king, right? Off uh, like John D. Rockefeller, if you will, right. um, uh, on on each of these areas. First off, just you know, Thomas, from from what you're seeing. Does that sound like a realistic assessment of where things are going? And um, do you anticipate that that we're going to see a massive demonetization of the cost of living? Yeah, even even food. I, I absolutely do see that. Um, I've, I've I've done these talks um, in the past where I uh, I have people imagine uh, 20 years in the future, uh, and then I ask them the question: Do you think? Um, the cost of education will be relatively uh, higher or relatively lower than it is today. Cost of transportation, the cost of housing, the cost of food, the entertainment. And you go down the list, and it's real real interesting to watch how people struggle with this, trying to get their mind wrapped around it. And then at the end, I tell them that, in my mind, all of these drop down in price. I think everything gets, gets, uh, gets cheaper. And then the question, be- uh, the question becomes then, uh, where does the additional wealth go? I mean, how how does that flow around, and, uh, and where where are the uh, kind of the opportunity areas to uh, to look at? Um, how, how do you create a uh, a business around the future cash cow, if you will? 
But um, the, this whole idea of scalable industries, I mean, if, you, if you're only getting a few cents from a million customers, you got a lot of money coming in. Right. Um, and so that's radically different than just trying to sell one product for $10,000 and just sell one every, uh, every two months. You know, that, uh, so it's, it's kind of a, a way different way of looking at it. Yeah, well, I, and, when, and the driver, uh, Thomas, is uh, is automation primarily. Uh, uh, if you r- roboticizing pretty much uh, every every job that's now required to uh, to to make a particular product, you can if you automate it. Obviously, uh, you, you're not paying salaries. The prices go down, right? Yeah. Let Let me just dive in on one topic, which I, I find absolutely fascinating. Um, in 2013, um, there's a, a group out of Holland. Um, a group that was uh, headed up by Mark Post, who's uh, uh, a biologist, and it, he, he created the first lab-grown uh, hamburger, and it cost $350,000 uh, to make this cultured meat. And, and they had a demonstration on uh, BBC television where they had two food critics that were tasting the, this uh, super expensive hamburger because it was the first one ever created. Um, and, and so this, these lab-grown hamburgers, um, I, I ran into Mark in 2015, and we, we spent some time talking, and he, he thought he could imagine it getting down to around $100 a pound for this type of meat. And, <laughs> Still quite a bit to pay. You know, that's got to yeah. be a good burger for 100 a pound, I think, right? Yeah. A, lot, a couple of weeks ago, I, uh, I found out that the price had actually dropped to a little over $11 a pound. And so you can see... The, the curve there, the demonetization curve, where it's, where it's coming down very fast. And in just, in just a few years, the price of this meat, industrial-grown meat, which has started from actual animal cells, and so it's actually real, real meat, but nothing dies in the process, um, is going to get down to you know, less than a dollar a pound. And you can set up uh, an, an industrial lab-growing lab grow a cultured meat operation in a 10,000 square foot uh, operation next to a grocery store and you have fresh meat delivered every day, that um, dramatically changes the whole ranching industry. Um, it dramatically changes the way we eat because, you know, uh, vegetarians are eating meat for, for uh, don't eat meat for a variety of reasons and some of it is for the pain that's caused to the animal. Um, and so, uh, many of them will be converted over this type of meat. And then uh, this, this all goes off in lots of different directions, though, but uh, we have the potential to get up into some really exotic types of meat. We can start growing penguin meat and turtle meat and uh, wombat meat and stuff like that. <laughs> and, yeah, and it could be I'm ideally, uh, it could be ideally uh, nutritious, too. You, you, you could, uh, uh, you know, the problem with omega-6 versus omega-3 could be solved in that, in right. the, that kind of environment, right? Yeah. You know, have the right exactly. fat. Uh, yeah, we can, we, can, we can do a little tweaking on it. And we can get it so that it actually tastes way better than uh, ranch-grown beef. And uh, it has all these little micro flavors built into it, and then um, and then we can can go off into the really exotic stuff too. Like we can um, we can actually take human cells and make things and grow them like that too. Very likely, we're probably not going to want to eat human flesh, but we might be wanting to grow this to make uh, uh, kind of construction materials like like leathers and 
uh, like things to replace plastics and naugahytes and things like that. Um, so then, then it opens the door for us to create like a designer. Uh, we can take a celebrity, take cells from a celebrity. We can grow uh, that type of leather. So, I mean, would you buy a purse for your wife if it was an actual George Clooney purse? <laughs> it seems a little weird, to be honest. That's just creepy, okay? No, <laughs> yeah, I would just, not. It's, 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 I'm a little weirded out by that. Uh, this, is, this, is Kim Card- this is made from Kim Kardashian, uh, honey. Yeah. Uh, you'll, you'll love it. No, no, no thank you. I, I, don't know. I, I think, I think we're... we're um, we're we're the generation that's not going to work for, but uh, there there might be there might be a generation or two later that uh, that it does work for. But I, but I love this I love this picture that you're painting of what happens with with food. And Stephen, you know, we've talked about this so many times, and we've always talked about people adopting vat grown meat, manufactured meat, for ethical reasons. Ultimately, right. it's it's for ethical reasons, but. Ultimately, it sounds like they'll do it for economic reasons. It's going to be cheap. Yeah, you're not you're not having to grow the rest of the cow that you don't eat. Yeah, not right. not, uh, not right. any part of the process is is wasted. You know, uh, making a, a, the moo sound right. I mean, there's no inefficiencies at all. Um, and, uh, and 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 in the process, you're you're simply growing the meat, not the leather, not the not the organs that are not going to be eaten. It's just what you need, nothing not else. Not the so, central nervous system that feels no. the pain that you feel bad That's about. That's right. And none of that is yeah. uh, none of the bones have to be made. Uh, it's just just the meat, and it's so it's ultimately it, it's got to be a lower cost operation, and certainly more environmentally friendly than these feedlots are. Um, well. Exactly, so. and if, if people get weirded out by lab-grown meat, um, they obviously haven't uh, walked through a slaughterhouse. Uh, oh, yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah. Because it's, it's, it's way less weird than a slaughterhouse experience. So yeah, um, that, that old saying about not seeing the sausage made is true, right? I mean, that, yeah. you know, that <laughs> you don't want to. Yeah. Well, you know what's interesting about this? I look at, I look at uh, Diamandis' list, and uh, I, I'm, I'm actually I'm very encouraged to hear that Food will become will become cheaper. The one that uh, that stands out, the two that actually stand out, the things that have been going sky high over the last couple of decades, education and healthcare. And I think healthcare is a real decider anyway. When when I look at uh, if I was, you give me the John D. Rockefeller lifestyle, it's like I don't care about the power or any of the rest of it. I'm not going back to 1916 healthcare, right? No way. Right. I don't um, I don't want to be an old man in that world, okay? Uh, but uh, yeah, let, let me paint a, paint a little different picture on uh, some aspects of, if we can grow cultured meat, we yeah. can also grow cultured blood. And, and having uh, blood that's taken from the cells of a baby, then we have the young blood, which has uh, supposedly anti-aging properties to it. So maybe that's, that's better for us. Um, the, the idea of, of having cultured mother's milk while they're they're feeding a baby, um, uh, you know it can be uh, hyper individualized mother's milk that comes from cells from the actual mother, and and so you have a constant supply of mother's milk that's ready to go, and it makes raising a kid way more convenient. Then um, these things have serious health implications. Yeah, positive health implications, right? Oh, I, I think so. Maybe negative, but I think they'll be positive. <laughs> and of course, that same technology that's allowing us to make meat will allow us to make replacement body parts when we need them too, right? I mean, yeah. organs and it's it's, yeah, it's but that's but that's where we get into the weird stuff of 
oh, I think I want three arms, and oh, I want four sex organs, and uh, you know, I, why don't I have nine toes on every foot? No, I just uh, want a heart that's not worn out, right? Uh, you know, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> that's all I that's all I want out of that deal. I think is uh, so, so well, yeah. that and a big dorsal fin. I do want a big dorsal fin if that can be arranged. <laughs> <laughs> webbed feet, yeah. but but those but but those are it. Well, listen, guys, we you know what we've run out of we've we've run out of time. We have to jump over to other geek. Obviously, there's a lot more to be said on the subject of the future of wealth. And before we leave that topic, uh, Stephen, parting parting thoughts on future of wealth. I look forward to having more of it. <laughs> okay, so we we end up where we started. How about you, Thomas? Yeah, that's any, right. Any, that's right. Any, any, any parting parting thoughts on that subject? Yeah, it's a. I think it's a race to the top to see who becomes the first trillionaire. Okay, well, I, I'm reminded. Gauntlet Phil, is uh, thrown down. Phil, I'm on my way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm reminded Phil of a uh, something funny in in uh, the in the Big Bang Theory show. Uh, Sheldon was hoarding checks, paychecks in a drawer, and they asked him why. He says, "Well, the things I want to buy haven't been invented yet." So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for a future where not only we have more money, but we have more interesting things to purchase with the money that we have. There so, you go. So, Save your money yeah. for when the price of all this stuff goes down, and you can you right. know, you really make a yeah. killing. Okay, so now it's time for Other Geek. And, Stephen, I am dry. I got, I got nothing. I used up both my TV shows last week, so I, I know you've got some good geeky uh <laughs> Well, um, the uh, you know that, and and you have you have listened to or read uh, the uh, the first uh, Bobaverse book, right? It's uh, uh, the name of the, this book is We Are Legion, We Are Bob. You've, yes, you've, I listened to that on Audible on your recommendation. It's a very entertaining novel. Yes, it's a great novel. Well, the second uh, novel is um, what, they, what is that? The subtitle of that is For We Are Many, and. Uh, that is the second Bobaverse book, and uh, Phil is just as good as the first one. And um, and, I, and I got to the end of that, and I go, oh my gosh, now I got to wait another year or two for the next one. <laughs> I just learned this afternoon that the author, uh, very much encouraged by the reception he's getting for these books, uh, is uh, uh, he will have the third book out in August. August. So, any rate, uh, uh, so you know, you've, you've got a couple of months to uh, get the uh, second book knocked out before uh, before the third one is available. So, I encourage you to check that one out. For 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 our guest and others listening about this for the first time, tell us about the Bobaverse. What what goes on? In okay, the uh, it is uh, it's a science fiction novel. It uh, involves. I don't know various technologies that uh, you know are involved here, but uh, let's just say it's 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 a von Neumann probe universe. Okay, it's uh, um, you've got a, a replicated uh, human that uh, can, Bob, you know, yes. he, who is named Bob, right? Who uh, can is uh, out exploring uh, our local galaxy and. Uh, um, and so, uh, and making copies of himself as he goes, and as he goes, that's why it's you know it's known as the Bobaverse. And so, they, and so you know he'll make it. He'll he'll arrive in a system and uh, and mine some metals from the asteroid belt of a new star, and uh, and and from that create a uh, a new von Neumann probe that'll go out in a different direction. And uh, you think, well, it, well, that sounds kind of boring or whatever, but no, it's it's just not. I mean. Uh, 
it's it's a fantastic story and humanity's kind of gotten themselves in trouble on earth and so part of it is he's shepherding humanity to to new systems and uh oh it's just i, I don't want to give away too much but it's fun it is a lot of fun and i, I one one mild spoiler i'm going to allow because i'm very curious about this does the second book cover about the same period of time greater period of time less less time than uh, the first about book? the same amount of time um passes i believe in the second book it's a good question uh, time is relative um and it's interesting because you know um a a uh, a particular Bob, you know, uh, this one named Will Riker, let's say, is heading uh, towards a different star. And so, you know, he, he, he might be out of the story for a period of time while he's, he's heading in that direction. They're, they're all, you know, sub-light. There's no faster-than-light travel in this, in this uh, series of books. And, uh, and so, um, you know, in, 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 you know, 20 years might pass, and then they, word, they get back word that he has arrived, and here's what he's found at this new place. And so it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. It's a real interesting take on how humanity uh, uh, begins moving into the galaxy. I, 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 I love the idea, although I'm, I'm probably going to get impatient after two or three of these for him to jump 10,000, 50,000 years into the future, because there would be, right, that future for this, this whole experiment, oh, yeah. and you, and you kind of got to wonder where it would go. Okay, that's, that's some geeky goodness. Th- Thomas, you got any geeky stuff for us, or was that uh, um, are you all yeah, full what? up on geek? Yeah, let me just ask you this basic question. I mean, there, there's this whole notion about um, in the future what things are going to be possible and what things are not. I mean, if you think about a thousand years from now, what's possible and what's not. So if I ask you the question of what year will we finally figure out how to control gravity, what year would you estimate? Oh, wow. That's a tough one. It's 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 almost like a faster than light question. Can't the 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 question is can it ever be done? It's it's right. almost it's right. it's if it can. I would say if it can be done, it will be done in a hundred years. If it can, yeah, I was about to say twenty one seventeen. That was going to be my answer too. Yeah. Uh, okay. Anything we can do, we'll we'll figure out how to do it in a hundred years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's that's fascinating. We we did a study here at the Da Vinci Institute. Uh, a while back on if we, because uh, I had it in my head that um, that there's somehow the ultimate small storage particle that, um, and what is the smallest storage particle that we can come up with? And uh, I asked some nanotech friends of mine, and, and they said, well, we, we actually don't know if there is a limit. Um, but I said, well, okay, what's the smallest storage particle in your mind? And they said, well, maybe the electron. And I says, okay, well, how long, will it be before we get using Moore's laws kind of a basis as a guide, how long before we get down to the size of the electron? And um, I had a professor at the University of Colorado do all the math on this, and, and we, we concluded that we will reach the size of an electron in 2133. Uh-huh. Uh, at so current rate. Yeah, at the current rate. So it's, you know, 116 years in the future. Now, it, it kind of blew me away because I had – uh, there's there's all these degrees of tininess that I was not able to grasp in my mind, and uh, and that just seemed like way the hell out there. So I'm I'm not deluding myself into thinking that we're going to follow Moore's law for the next you know you know till 2133 or beyond. But uh, yeah, it it kind of gives us a little different perspective though. <laughs> Definitely. So what's your what's your answer to the gravity question? What do you think? Um, 
I actually think we'll we'll do it in less than fifty years. But um, uh, but the, there's lots of factors that come into play. I mean, when you have the the power to control gravity, then then that's kind of like one of the most ultimate destructive forces in the universe. And and uh, uh, who do who do we allow have that kind of massive control over things? So um, yeah, I'm not sure it's actually a good thing. <laughs> Oh well, there's you can think of the benefits, but you're right. Once you start mentioning the downsides, uh, they are yeah, they are you manifold. Could tear a planet apart, couldn't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we can um, certainly if if you think about controlling gravity. I mean, being able to make things lighter, being able to make things heavier, um, and and by degree. So it's it's uh, at at you know two percent more gravity to this experiment that I'm doing. How does that change this chemical reaction? Um, oh, right. It opens up so many dramatic shifts in the way we think about science. Okay. Uh, well, Thomas, we asked for geeky, and you gave us three guys sitting around talking about the future when we have control over gravity. I think that's about as geeky as it gets right there. So. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for being with us this week. It's been great, and we're going we're gonna to plan to have you back on again very soon. All right. All right. Well, thank you very much, and uh, hope to see you soon sometime. Sounds great. All right. Hey, thanks. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, thanks, thanks to you, Stephen, and thanks for everyone for being with us. We will be back again next week with three brand new shows. Look forward to being with you all then. And until next time, live to see it.